companies are starting to wake up to realize that culture is a competitive advantage. And to do that right, you have to do the hard stuff and the soft stuff really well. But people are not trained to do the soft stuff well. So traditionally, you bring in consultants, right? You run workshops, you figure out how to communicate better, you figure out how to treat each other better. And that's great, but that's also very expensive. And it's hard to scale that, frankly. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Awesoming's podcast, where we highlight people pursuing their definition of, you guessed it, awesome. So buckle up and get ready for some more success story adventures and failures from Kentucky's tech and entrepreneur community. Hey guys, thanks for checking out this episode of Awesoming's podcast. Brought to you by NASCAR. That's a really bad joke. One day we'll have a great sponsorship. And want to say we're sitting down with Charlie Miller. Actually, we're on a Zoom call with Charlie Miller. I'm sitting down. He's sitting down as well. And man, I am excited because Charlie is whipping up some madness over in Louisville. Madness is a great word. That's what Startup Life is all about, man. <laughs> I totally agree. Well, Charlie, my first question, and hopefully this is completely out of left field, why is there a Y in your name with Charlie? You're the first you're the first guy I've met that spells it with a Y, which I am fanatical about. That's awesome. W-H-Y, right? Um, yes, yeah, so I come from uh, a few Charleses on both sides of the family. And, um, you know, I think, but my parents decided, don't make me just another Charles, but, you know, I'll be the first Charlie. There's one gra- great-grandfather went by Charlie. I don't even think he was a Y, but he might have been, and maybe that's where it came from. I never asked questions about it until I got to school and realized all the other Charlies were IE and it always became kind of a joking point of friction to what was better IE or the Y. And, you know, um, I will proudly tell everyone that Y is better than IE. Uh, although everyone misspells my name, including my own parents sometimes it's hilarious, but yeah, Charlie with a Y. I'm the exact same way. I went to a school named Barrett growing up from middle school, B-A-R-R-E-T. And I can't tell you how long, the, the one T followed me into, uh, into my working career, but that's another story. Uh, yeah, so I wasn't sure if the, if the Y came from some English descent or some family line or what was, you know, the cause you know, of it. There's a, there was a, a great-grandfather named uh, Charlie Morgan, and I think that's where it came from. But there's also, there's all these stories in the family of the, the small, this has been Kentucky, small town, western Kentucky, of the uh, the one police officer there was named Chewing Gum Charlie. I kind of like to think it came from him too, because that's a cool cool name. But unfortunately, I don't have a nickname like Chewing Gum. No, that that is true. Neither do I. That actually is a pretty unique name. Well, well, speaking of Charlie, you mentioned Western Kentucky. Would love to hear your glamorous beginning. How did uh, how did you end up in Kentucky? And then maybe give us a quick overview as to how you wound up starting a Kentucky-based company. Sure. I'll try to give a short background here. Um, so I grew up in uh, Southern Kentucky, actually in Adair County or better known as Adair County. And uh, when I was seven, I moved up to Jefferson County. Uh, but my mom's family comes from Western Kentucky and Marshall County. So got a few places that uh, feel familiar to me around the state. Um, got the tattoo on my leg too, to prove that I'm a Kentucky boy through and through. That said, I did leave for a long time. I lived in San Francisco and Boston in New York. Um, most recently, I was in New York for a decade. I went to graduate school up there to learn about technology at NYU in a great program called ITP, which is a sort of a creative technologist program where you learn all kinds of different ways to apply technology to the world. And uh, I came out of there realizing I had a th- thing for game design and got hired 
by a startup called Cognito with a K, speaking of funny letters and names. Um, and Cognito was, this, you know, seven people. And we developed this cool conversation engine to teach people how to have difficult conversations in the workplace. I, who knew I would be circling back to that in a weird way, you know, gosh, 11, 12 years later. But one thing that Cognito did is got me a taste of the startup world. And I loved it. It was exciting. At that point in New York, this 2008, 2009, the startup community was just starting to kind of get more formalized. There's always some fintech and Wall Street and some ad tech. But like the rest of that community was just getting going. It was super supportive. It reminds me a lot of what's happening in Kentucky right now, actually. Um, so a lot of good people trying to help each other. Um, I tried my first startup, which was called GiveAndDate.com, which was a dating site to raise money for charity for local charities in New York City. And learned a lot about the do's and don'ts of a startup. Uh, got that going for 19 months until we decided to call it quits because we, uh, the community was kind of awkward. We had 40 women to every man on the site by the time we shut it down, which wasn't really good for a dating site. But uh, we did a few things right, and we did a few cool things technically that raised some eyebrows, which is cool. Um, but I won't go into that whole story. I uh, used that to then do some projects for some clients, uh, helping them get their startups going. Uh, the game design thing got me some uh, gigs with Hasbro. And I don't know if you can see my video right now, but there's some some products over my shoulder that I did for Hasbro, including some stuff for Nerf hoops. And we did something called 3D 360, where we developed a uh, long before Google Cardboard, you put your iPhone in this plastic device and you could play these 360 3D games. And it made everyone motion sick and it was kind of dead on arrival, unfortunately, but it was really cool making that. Um, the partner that I did that with, an uh, inventor named Ido Siegel, and Ido showed me this prototype of this crazy uh, video technology where he, he imagined it being interactive for viewers, where you could just click or touch on something, and it was just interactive for the viewers. It was the author, whether it's a website or you know just graphics you're throwing into the video. And I can totally see the vision of that because I have a background in uh, experimental film, and uh, I convinced him let me try to turn that into a full-on product, and we together started TouchCast. And, Touchcast um, went from a few of us to a lot of us. We had, a, I think, uh, over 100 people around the world of e-contractors con doing some video production work uh, across seven different time zones. So we were doing the remote thing. This is like 2012, 2013 when we got that going. And, um, you know, a whole nother education here, how to sell to enterprise, how to manage an entire suite of products, how to try to cultivate culture across 100 people in seven different time zones. And that was honestly the inspiration for me to start Unitonomy about a year ago. I, I stepped out of TouchCast to start Unitonomy. And it's because I just became so passionate about this problem of like, how do you cultivate culture for remote teams? Uh, why isn't there a turnkey system out there to help a growing company figure out all the different things you need to figure out, how to make sure people are connecting really well across all the work. And it's not just collaboration in the sense of looking at each other's whiteboard or something like that, but like forming the bonds, understanding alignment, making sure that you understand how people feel, making sure there's a place for all the shared knowledge and people aren't asking the same questions over and over. Um, so that's kind of the inspiration for you, Tonomy. And about five years ago, I moved from New York back to Louisville, working remotely with TouchCast, but came back uh, for a few reasons. My wife is from here too. We met at a derby party in 2012. She was in from LA. I was in, in from New York. I was just starting TouchCast. So it's almost like the universe was pulling us back here and we came back to have kids and which we might hear running around at some point. Um, and it's been awesome. We love it back here. And it's also neat to be back when the startup community is all of a sudden having this sort of sea change moment. Thanks to Awesome Inc. and groups like you all really being supportive and pulling us all together. 
and uh, getting it moving. It's, it's a neat time to be in Kentucky and technology. Yeah, that was, man, we could actually just end right there. We got to hear your whole story, <laughs> but we won't. And, you know, I, I love when, when I have some ideas that I want to start asking and, you know, people like you, you just open the can and go for it. And so you mentioned a couple of your past experiences and that's something as we set the foundation for the rest of our time together, I would love to, to hear about. So again, you spoke about givendate.com. I loved that name. And then you had a couple other early production roles with eatingvine.com. I believe BMU's your role with them was with Hasbro and then TouchCast. Can you, yeah. Can you talk about the foundation for all those experiences, maybe high level or the, that maybe like the happy and crappy, the, the high and low moments that again, helped formulate to, to where you are today. So, uh, with given date, that was my first foray to being the founder of a startup, uh, learned some tricky lessons. We did some really cool stuff on the payment side of technology in terms of figuring out how a startup could route money from a, a donor straight to a charity with, with us being a for-profit in the middle. And there's all kinds of complications there, but we were doing that before anyone was doing that. We were the first dating site in the world to use open ID, to um, allow people to just authenticate and set up a profile. The bad news about that, at that point in time, no one had heard of Facebook, Connect, or Google. Those things didn't even exist, right? It was just something called OpenID. But that scared so many people away because they thought if they used their Facebook profile through OpenID, you know, their exes are going to know that they're joining this dating site. And they're like, no, 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 that's not how it works. It's just a simple way of like creating a profile. It's automatic authentication. So we are a little ahead of the time in that whole, that whole space. Um, and then um, with Eating Vine, that was for a client who wanted to get a, a recipe sharing uh, social network set up where you'd algorithmically pair wines to the recipes that you uploaded. Um, did that for a year and got that going. And then uh, jumped from there to working with Bemuse, and that was the Hasbro projects and did a lot of games and products for them. And really developed a relationship with Ido Siegel. And uh, that's when he introduced me to TouchCast. Uh, working Hasbro, I kind of learned the ins and outs of working, obviously, with big enterprise and all the slowness that comes in with that, even though they do some really cool stuff. But that is also a marketing-like organization. I really started to realize, you know, you're either a product-like organization or a marketing-like organization. And I prefer product. I'm a product person. Um, and then when uh, Ido decides to uh, turn uh, TouchCast into a real startup, uh, it was awesome to be there on day one and uh, kind of imagine the innovation of what we were doing of interactive video across, you know, recording on iPad versus live streaming, video conferencing, all these different ways you can use interactive video. And, um, you know, we built a, a healthy business selling to enterprise. Um, the trick is it was all enterprise sales and that's a whole different beast. And it's not something I'm really eager to rush back into the autonomy because I realized 12 months sales cycles and all the security audits and working procurement and, running workshops and everything to train users like it is uh hard work um and it's great when you get it but a company that big can swallow a startup alive where you basically become almost like a service provider to them and so something i always caution other startup founders is like try to mature yourself if you're a b2b app or software try to mature yourself into selling the enterprise when you can manage them at a point that you have sort of dedicated account managers and so forth and uh, you can still stick to your kind of core roadmap. You don't get uh, sort of swallowed up, so to speak. Um, now with Unitonomy, uh, I've done a lot of what we do before, which is great. Uh, but um, some mistakes that I want to make sure that I don't repeat from prior things is, that, you know, taking investment in the right ways, making sure we know how to build awareness in the right ways. 
Um, you can't just build a product and think people will come, but you kind of have to always keep a drum beat going and make sure people understand the value of your tools. You know, I can talk on and on about that stuff because I really get fascinated by how um, awareness works in this day and age where, you know, you're not just trying to get eyeballs, but you're trying to get robots uh, to take a peek at you with SEO and all that. So it's, it's, a, it's a fun world. And with the wave of AI coming, it's about to get dramatically different again. But it's, I think every founder has to understand how people discover you. It's, you hear the phrase a lot of times, second time founders are obsessed with distribution. And I'm certainly true about that. That was, wow. That was a lot of, a lot of quality to, to digest right there. And we will definitely circle back to that, especially as we, we further into unit autonomy. And this, this again will be that launching question to get us there, in my opinion. So I know you're all about culture. You've talked about cultivating culture, how it's a tricky business. As someone who values culture, it sounds like you valued it when you were in San Francisco, also up north in the, in the Northeast. Talk, can you talk about how being an independent game designer and how those, those, all those experiences influence, there's this need for culture and that, yeah, that'll kind of get us on the tangent to autonomy. Yeah. There's almost like two sides of collaboration. Um, there's the side of sort of the hard, uh, factual work, you know, standing in front of a whiteboard, you know, sharing documents and working on a presentation together. And we have tools to help us do those things really efficiently. And then if you look at the age of B2B tools over the last decade, we've really gotten better at kind of managing those efficiently and effectively, those sort of tasks that we do together. That's kind of hard, what I call hard collaboration. There's a whole other side of it that's soft collaboration, which is how we treat each other, how we respect each other, how we create a sense of safety around sharing ideas, how we don't interrupt each other, but also respond to each other, how we praise each other form alignment, bonding, belonging. Like there's a ton of it as you start to unpack it. And you realize, wow, culture is not just, you know, a foosball table and happy hour. It's literally about every point of communication that we have across all the things we do in a company. And a lot of those things we're doing are these the soft stuff too. Well, uh, um, I think companies are starting to wake up to realize that culture is a competitive advantage. And to do that right, you have to do the hard stuff and the soft stuff really well. But people are not trained to do the soft stuff well. So traditionally, you bring in consultants, right? You run workshops, you figure out how to communicate better, you figure out how to treat each other better. And that's great, but that's also very expensive. And it's hard to scale that, frankly, especially for really big companies. And small companies can't always afford it. So where autonomy comes in, the idea is what can we do to take proven methods, proven research, and turn that into software to help companies do the softer side of things better to foster collaboration in the culture. A metaphor I like to use is like communication is the central nervous system of a body, right, across an organization. Um, you know, there can be, you know, good communication be of like good things are going to be communication about bad things. That's fine. As long as you don't have so much noise, you can't find the signals or you just don't have paralysis where things aren't communicated at all. And so uh, we've really decided like we can't solve every problem related to culture. There's no silver bullet when it comes to cultivating culture, but we can certainly do some things to improve that central nervous system of communication. So in some specific areas, we can always make sure the right people know the right things and are, are getting help with how to communicate those right things. That's really our focus. From back to your question of like my experience, it's like time and again, no matter what I've been doing, I've always realized that um, the performance of the business works best when people are collaborating really effectively. And I don't think anyone would argue with that. But anytime there's friction and collaboration, it starts to undermine every aspect. 
you know, you can always look at sports to also see this demonstrated on the field day in, day out. Right. Um, and something really neat happened in sports. Um, about a decade ago, people started looking at advanced analytics to really understand how players complement each other in a lineup, how they actually work together as a team instead of looking at the silos of performance of, you know, what's that person's batting average? That's kind of meaningless now as much as it is about how the player does all these little intangible things. Um, but a better example maybe is something like basketball or hockey where they have like the plus minus statistic to really understand how does this person collaborate with the other players in terms of the overall team's performance. That was another inspiration for Unitomy. In fact, it's why our colors are green and gold because it's like the Oakland Athletics, which is the famous money ball thing related to their GM, Billy Bean, uh, the book. Uh, we're trying to take that inspiration of advanced sports analytics to understand collaboration for one of our products called Org Vitals. Um, but uh, when you think about you know culture, uh, you got to figure out a way to measure it. And for us, that's really looking at how is collaboration performing between individuals. And it's the tool I wish I had had back in my days of growing TouchCast when we were you know scattered around the world. Is I wish I had even my days of the other startups and companies I've worked with, uh, including like I wish I could give it to some of the customers we had working with these huge companies. I heard their pain points all the time in terms of issues of knowledge transfer or issues of just making sure they weren't duplicating effort and staying aligned. Um, not to geek out too much, but like uh, you hear things related to like, you know, the problems of vertical communication, which is like, you know, the CEO making sure he or she's connecting well with the employees and employees are giving meaningful feedback and feel like they have a, a say in what's happening versus horizontal, which is just the idea that the left arm knows what the right arm's doing and why. Um, so again, central nervous system, we're trying to figure out how we can help all those pieces of information and knowledge transfer in the right ways so that at the end of the day, this is about connecting people better and making sure everyone understands their sense of purpose. Can you talk about your company from maybe its first idea to, to concept into how it works nowadays? Absolutely. Um, I've been in the headspace for about five years as we suffered the problem internally at TouchCast of just figuring out how to cultivate our culture as we were going from 20 people to 40 people and having to reinvent how we worked. And then, of course, by the time we got to 60 or 80, we were kind of reinventing it again. And we kept trying to figure out how do we just keep communication flowing in a good way. We turned on Slack like so many companies do, and that just created a lot of noise. We had more and more meetings to make sure we were staying aligned and, and bonding and developing a sense of direction and belonging. And then we're doing so many meetings where we don't have time to do the real work. And I talked to more and more companies and other founders up in New York and I realized our problem is not unique. It's, it's, it's very common. Um, so I just started reading. I read a lot of books. I got into a lot of uh, white papers uh, and realized that um, there are definitely some proven methods out there. And so I started thinking, why can't we just turn some of this into software to help people? Well, that's it, guys. Thank you so much for checking out this episode of Awesomings Podcast. And another quick thank you to Lee Rosevere and a few members from our community who provide the music that you hear in the show. Lastly, give us a follow on Instagram, Facebook, all that jazz. Or even better, come on down to our space. Come be a part of our community and get plugged in. And let's start something awesome together. You guys rock. We'll see you next time.